Welcome to Reformed in Public. Please visit our show notes page at anchor.fm forward slash reformed in public. We continue with the reading of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. This work is considered public domain. 6. Christ teaches the soul whom he brings into this school in the knowledge of their own hearts. You must learn this or you will never learn contentment. You must learn to know your own heart well, to be good students of your own hearts. You cannot all be scholars in the arts and sciences in the world, but you may all be students of your own hearts. Many of you cannot read in the book, but God expects you every day to turn over a leaf in your own hearts. You will never get any skill in this mystery of contentment except you study the book of your own hearts. Sailors have their books which they study. Those who will be good navigators and scholars have their books. Those who study logic have their books, according to that. And those that study rhetoric and philosophy have their books, according to that. And those that study divinity have their books, whereby they come to be helped in the study of divinity. But a Christian, next to the book of God, is to look into the book of his own heart, and to read over that. And this will help you to contentment in three ways. 1. By studying your heart, you will come soon to discover wherein your discontent lies. When you are discontented, you will find out the root of any discontent, if you study your heart well. Many men and women are discontented, and the truth is, they do not know why. They think this and the other thing is the cause. But a man or woman who knows their own heart will soon find will soon find out where the root of their discontent lies, that it lies in some corruption and disorder of the heart, that through God's mercy I have now found out. It is similar to the case of a little child who is very awkward in the house, and when a stranger comes in he does not know what the matter is. Perhaps he will give the child a rattle, or a nut, or something of the sort, to quiet it. But when the nurse comes, she knows the temper and disposition of the child, and therefore knows how to calm it. It is just the same here. When we are strangers to our own hearts, we are powerfully discontented, and do not know how to quiet ourselves because we do not know wherein the disquiet lies. But if we are very well versed in our own hearts, when anything happens to unsettle us, we soon find out the cause of it, and so quickly become quiet. When a man has a watch, and understands the use of every wheel and pin, if it goes amiss, he will soon find out the cause of it. But when someone has no skill in a watch, if it goes amiss, he does not know what is the matter, and therefore cannot mend it. So indeed our hearts 
are as a watch, and there are many wheels and windings and turnings there, and we should labor to know our hearts well, that when they are out of tune, we may know what is the matter. 2. This knowledge of our hearts will help us to contentment because it will because by it we shall come to know what best suits our condition. A man who does not know his own heart does not think what need he has of affliction, and for that reason is uneasy. But when God comes with afflictions to the man or woman who have studied their own hearts, they can say, I would not have been without this affliction for anything in the world. God has so suited this affliction to my condition, and has come in such a way that if this affliction had not come, I am afraid I should have fallen into sin. When a poor countryman takes medicine, the medicine works, but he thinks it will kill him, because he does not know the bad humors that are in his body. And, therefore, he does not understand how suitable the medicine is for him. But if a doctor takes a purge and it makes him extremely sick, I like this the better, he says. It is only working on the humor that I know is the cause of my disease. And because of that, such a man who has knowledge and understanding of his body in the, and the cause of his disorder, is not troubled or disturbed. So would we be if we did but know the disorders of our own hearts. Carnal men and women do not know their own spirits, and therefore they fling and vex themselves at every affliction that befalls them. They do not know what disorders are in their hearts. When they do not know what disorders are in their hearts which may be healed by their afflictions, if it pleases God to give them a sanctified use of them. 3. By knowing their own hearts, they know what they are able to manage, and by this means they come to be content. Perhaps the Lord takes away many comforts from them that they had before, or denies them some things that they hoped for, sorry, that they hoped to have got. Now, by knowing their hearts, they know that they were not able to manage such wealth, and they were not able to manage such prosperity. God saw it, and a poor soul says, I am in some measure of I am in some measure convinced by looking into my own heart that I was not able to manage such a condition. A man desires greedily to hold on to more than he is able to manage, and so undoes himself. Countrymen observe that if they overstock their land, it will quickly spoil them, and so a wise husbandman who knows how much his ground will bear is who knows how much his ground will bear, is not troubled that he has not as much stock as others. Why? Because he knows he has not got enough ground for as great a stock, and that, and that quiet, quiets him.
Many men and women who do not know their own hearts would fain have as prosperous a position as others, but if they knew their own hearts, they would know that they were not able to manage it. Suppose one of your little children of three or four were crying for the coat of her sister, who is twelve or perhaps even twenty, and said, Why may not I have a coat as long as my sister's? If she had, it would soon tr trip up her heels and scratch her face. But when the child comes to understanding, she is not discontented because her coat is not as long as her sister's, but says, My coat fits me, and therein she is content. So if we come to understanding the school of Christ, we will not cry, Why have I not got such wealth as others have? But the Lord sees that I am not able to manage it, and I see it myself by knowing my own heart. There are some children who, if they see a knife, will cry for it, because they do not know their strength, and that they are not able to manage it. But if you know they are not able to manage it, and therefore, but you know they are not able to manage it, and therefore you will not give it to them will not give it them, and when they come to sufficient understanding to know that they are not able to manage it, they will not cry for it. Similarly, we would not cry for some things if we knew that we were not able to manage them. When you vex and fret for what you have not got, I may say to you, as Christ said, you know not of what spirit you are. It was a saying of Lampadius to Perillus when they were speaking about his extreme poverty, not so poor, though I have been very poor, yet I would be poorer, I could be willing to be poorer than I am. And if he were to say that, the truth is, the Lord knew what was more suitable for me. And if he were to say, the truth is, the Lord knew what was more suitable for me, and I knew that my own heart was such that a poor condition was more suitable to me than a rich. So certainly would we say, if we knew our own hearts, that such and such a condition is better for me than if it had been otherwise. 7. The seventh lesson by which Christ teaches contentment is the burden of a prosperous outward condition. One who comes into Christ's school is to be instructed in this art. One who comes into Christ's school to be instructed in this art never attains to any great skill in it until he comes to understand the burden that is in a prosperous condition. Objection. You will say, What burden is there in a prosperous condition? Answer. Yes, there is certainly a great burden, and it needs great strength to bear it. Just as men need strong brains to bear strong wine, so they need strong spirits to bear prosperous conditions, and not to do themselves hurt. Many men and women look at the shine and glitter of prosperity, but they little think of the burden. 
There is a fourfold burden in a prosperous condition. 1. There is a burden of trouble. A rose has its prickles, and the scripture says that he that will be rich pierceth, pierceth himself through with many sorrows. First Timothy 6.10 if a man's heart is set upon being rich, such a man will pierce himself through with many sorrows. He looks upon the delight and glory of riches, which appears outwardly, but he does not consider what piercing sorrows he may meet with in them. The consideration of the trouble that is in a prosperous condition. I have many times thought of and I cannot think of any better to compare it with than to traveling to in some open country, where roundabout is very fair and sandy ground, and you see, in a t and you see a town a great way off, in a valley, and you think, oh, how well situated that town is. But when you come and ride into the town, you ride through a dirty lane, and through a lot of fearfully dirty holes. You could not see the dirty lane and holes when you were two or three miles off. In the same way, sometimes we look upon the prosperity of men and think this man lives well and comfortably. But if we only knew what troubles he has in his family, in his possessions, in his dealings with men, we would not think his position so happy. A man may have a very fine new shoe, but nobody knows where it pinches him except the one who has it on. So you think certain men are happy, but they may have many troubles that you th little think of. 2. There is a burden of danger in it. Men in a prosperous position are in a great deal of danger. You see sometimes in the evening that when you light up your candles, the moths and gnats will fly up and down in the candle and scorch their wings, and they fall down dead there. So there is a great deal of danger in a prosperous estate. For men who are set upon a pinnacle on high are in greater danger than other men are. Honey, we know, invites bees and wasps to it, and the sweet prosperity, the sweet of prosperity invites the devil and temptation. Men in a prosperous position are subject to many temptations that other men are not subject to. The scripture calls the devil Beelzebub, that is, the god of flies. And so, Beelzebub comes where the honey of prosperity is. Yes, they are in very great danger of temptations who are in a prosperous condition. The dangers that men in a prosperous position have more than others should be considered by those who are lower. Think to yourself, Though they are above me, yet they are in more danger than I am. 
Tall trees are a great deal more broken than low shrubs. And you know when a ship has all its sails up in a storm, even the topsail, it is in more danger than one which has all its sails drawn in. Similarly, men who have their topsail and all up so finely are more likely to be drowned, drowned in perdition than other men. You know what the scripture says, how hard it is for rich men to go into the kingdom of heaven. Such a text should make poor people content with their state. We have a striking example of this in the children of Kohath. You will find that they were in a more excellent position than the other Levites, but they were in more danger than the others, and more trouble that the children of Kohath were in a higher position than others, than the other Levites. I will show you from the fourth chapter of Numbers. There you will find what their position was. This shall be a service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. Mark this, the Levites were exercised about holy things, but the service of the sons of Kohath was about the most holy things of all. And you find in the 21st of Joshua that God honored the other Levites, which honor the children of Aaron, being of the families of the Kohathites, who were the children of Levi. had, for theirs was the first lot, Joshua 21.10, and they were preferred before the other families of Levi. Those who were employed in the most honorable employment had the most honorable lot. The first lot fell to them. Thus you see how God honored the children of the Kohathites. But the other Levites might say, how has God preferred this family before us? They are indeed honored more than the others. But notice the burden that comes with their honor. I will show you it out of two scriptures. The first is Numbers 7, 6-9. And Moses took the wagons and four oxen. He gave unto the sons of Gershom according to their service, and four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according to their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But in the ninth verse he says, Unto the sons of Kohath, he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary that belonged unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. Mark, the other Levites, had oxen and wagons given to them to make their service easier. But, he says, to the Co sons of Kohath, he gave none, but they should bear their service on their shoulders. And that is the reason why God was so displeased, because they wanted more ease in God's service than God would have them. For whereas they should have carried it upon their shoulders, they would carry it upon a cart. Here you see the first burden that they had beyond what the other Levites had. And indeed, those who are in a more honorable place than others have a burden to carry on their shoulders that those who are under them to not think of while others have 
ways of easing their burden. Many times, those who are employed in the ministry or the magistracy, who sit at the stern to order the great affairs of the commonwealth and state, though you think they are, though you think they have a fine life, they lie awake when you are asleep. If you knew the burden that lay upon their spirits, you would think that your labor and burden were very little in comparison of theirs. There is another burden of danger, in more than the rest, and you will find it in Numbers, four seventeen. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Cut ye not off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. But thus do unto them, that they may live and not die, when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them, every one to his service, and to his burden. But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. Mark this text. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, "Cut ye not off the tribes of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. Cut them not off. Why? What had they done? Had they done anything amiss? No, they had not done anything to provoke God. But the meaning is this: Take great care to instruct the family of the Kohathites in the duty that they were to do. For, said God. They are in a great deal of danger, serving in the most holy things. If they go in to see the holy things more than God would have them to do, it is as much as their lives are worth. And therefore, if you neglect them and do not inform them thoroughly in their duty, they would be undone," said God. They are to administer in the most holy things. And if they should but dare to presume to do anything otherwise than God would have them about those services, it would cost them their lives. And therefore, do not be careless of them, for if you neglect them, you will be a means of cutting them off. Thus, you see the danger that the family of the Kohathites were in. They were preferred before others. But they were in more danger. So you think of certain men in a parish who bear the sway and are employed in public service, and carry all before them. But you do not consider their danger. And similarly, ministers stand in the forefront of all the spite and malice of ungodly men. Certainly, God employs them in an honorable service. And a service that the angels would delight in, but though the service is honorable above other works, yet the burden of danger is likewise greater than the danger of men in an inferior position. Now, when the soul gets wisdom from Christ to think of the danger that it is in, then it will be content with a low estate in which it is. A poor man who is in a low condition thinks, "I am low, and others are raised." But I know now what their burden is, and so, 
If he is rightly instructed in the school of Christ, he comes to be contented. 3. In a prosperous condition, there is the burden of duty. You look only at the sweetness and comfort, the honor and respect that they have who are in a prosperous position. But you must consider the duty that they owe to God. God requires more duty at their hands than at yours. You are ready to be discontented because you have not got such gifts and abilities as others have. But God requires more duty of those who have greater wealth than of you who have not such wealth. Oh, you would fain have the honor, but can you carry the burden of the duty? 4. The last is the burden of account in a prosperous condition. Those who enjoy great wealth and a prosperous condition have a great account to give to God. We are all stewards, and one is a steward to a meaner man, perhaps but to an ordinary knight. Another is a steward to a nobleman, an, an earl now. The steward of the meaner man has not so much as the other under his hand. And shall he be discontented because of this? No, he thinks I have less, and I will have to give thee less account. So your account in comparison of the ministers and magistrates will be nothing. You are to give an account of your own souls, and so are they. You are to give an account for your own family, and so are they. But you will not have to give account for congregations, and for towns, and cities and countries. You think of princes and kings. Oh, what a glorious position they are in. But what do you think of a king who has to give account for the disorder and wickedness in a kingdom which he might possibly have prevented? When an abundance of glory, what an abundance of glory might a prince bring to God if he bent his soul and all his thoughts to lift up the same to lift up the name of God in his kingdom. Now, what God loses through the lack of this, that king, prince, or governor must give an account for. There is a saying of Chrysostom on that place in Hebrews where it is said that men must give an account or their souls of their souls. He wonders that any man in a public place can be saved because the account they have to give is so great. I remember I have read a saying of Philip, the king of Spain. Though the story says of him that he had such a natural conscience that he professed he would not do anything against his conscience, no, not in secret for gaining a world, yet when this man was to die, oh, he said, that I had never been a king, Oh, that I had lived in a solitary and private life all my days. Then I should have died a great deal more securely. I should, with more confidence, have gone before the throne of God to give my account. This is the fruit of my kingdom, because I had all the glory of it. 
it has made my account harder to give to God. Thus he cried out when he was to die. And therefore, you who live in private positions, remember this. If you come to Christ's school and are taught this lesson, you will be quiet in your afflictions or in your private position because your account is not as great as others. There is a saying I remember meeting with in Latimer's sermons, which he was wont to use. The half is more than the whole. That is, when a man is in a mean condition, he is but halfway towards the height of prosperity that others are in. Yet, he says, this is safer, though it is a meaner condition than others. Those who are in a high and prosperous condition have annexed to it the burden of trouble, of danger, of duty, and of account. And thus you see how Christ trains up his scholars in his school, and though they are otherwise weak, yet by his Spirit he gives them wisdom to understand these things aright. Thank <laughs> you.